Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Annihilation. Nothing personal. Word of the day is annihilation because that's what happened while you may have been sleeping or not watching since I hear people aren't watching. The Los Angeles Dodgers set a record. I got to tell you something about this, by the way. I want to go through what happened in the Dodgers game, but there was an article on MLB.com by a writer and he wrote talking about the Dodger game last night that the Dodgers set an all-time postseason record by scoring 11 runs in the first inning, the most runs ever scored by a team in one inning in the postseason. And what the article said is that there was another inning where 10 runs were scored. By the way, that was last year. The Cardinals scored 10 runs against the Braves in that deciding division series game. I don't know if you remember that one, Coca. That's a big game five that was over before it started, which is the most depressing thing for the Braves last season. And so the Braves end up giving up 11 yesterday to the Dodgers. And this article says before that, the record had been seven and it hadn't been done since, let's say, 1959 or something. So I direct message the writer and I don't call Coca first because normally I feel like if there's a mistake that I want to correct, I may be the one who's wrong. Maybe I'm reading the article wrong. So I reread the article several times and I sent a direct message saying, listen, you're saying that no one scored more than seven, but I happened to be at a game as president of a team in the postseason where our team scored eight runs in an inning. The famous eight run eighth, the greatest inning ever by a Marlins team in Wrigley Field. They had a big inning this year against the Cubs, but not like the eight-run eighth. So I sent a DM to a writer. I said, I think you made a mistake in your article. And I didn't hear back. And I started thinking, man, maybe I'm wrong. And then I got a, a response in the DM saying, oh, yeah, that stat was wrong. It's being corrected right now. Who could re- forget an eight-run eighth? Who could forget an 11-run First Avenue? First Avenue, first, that's funny. Where's my head? First inning. Let me just go through what happened. Opening of the game. Dodgers need a win. They're down 2 nothing. Mookie Betts, he's hitting like 100. He's hitting his, below his weight, which, by the way, in baseball, that's the rule. If your batting average is below your weight, we're going to bring that up during arbitration because that's really, really bad. And Mookie Betts is not a big guy. So for him to hit below his weight, that's really going to be an issue. So Mookie Betts comes to the plate, ground ball, throw to first, out, challenge, safe. Mookie on first. Corey Seager bats second. Doubles. All right. one nothing. No big deal. The Braves have a great offense. They're up 2 nothing. Everyone's saying the Dodgers are back. They scored seven runs the game before, late in the game. So this is the new Dodgers offense that's back. And uh, best team in the league, blah, blah, blah. All right. Whatever. Meanwhile, out. Justin Turner grounds out. Out. Max Muncy grounds out. 
two outs, one run in. There's no annihilation. Will Smith doubles. They score again. Cody Bellinger walks. Jock Peterson hits a three-run homer, all with two outs. Edwin Rios hits a homer. Chris Taylor walks. All of a sudden, Kyle Wright, the starter for the Braves, who had not given up a lot of runs this postseason. Great pitching staff. He's a rookie. He doesn't make it out of the first inning, pitches two-thirds of an inning, gives up five runs. All right, this game really has a problem. They bring in a pitcher named Grant Dayton. A quick Grant Dayton story. He comes into the game. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, God, that name seems so familiar to me. Why do I know the name Grant Dayton? And I had not focused on the fact he'd been on the Braves. I just, I just hadn't focused on it. When you, when you're in baseball for 18 years, so many players come and go. I play a game where I look back at old team photos Every year in September, you take a team photo, and that is a photo that you get. I get I get a copy of a framed copy. We would give framed copies to other people in that team photo, other executives, and it gets hung in your ballpark, and it's, it is a memory of your team. The game that you play is, can you name every player in your team photo without looking at the name index that is below the photo? And the answer is an unequivocal No, there's not one GM, not one owner, not one president, not one player who can name every teammate he's had or every player he's had in his organization. You just can't do it. You can say you can do it, but you can't do it. So cut to Grant Dayton gets in the game and I have a total recollection that he was a Marlin back in 13 and 14, never made it to the big leagues, but we drafted him and then we ended up trading him actually, ironically to the Dodgers. Okay, Grant Dayton comes in the game. Mookie Betts is up again. They've batted around. Guess what he does? He walks. Corey Seager, singles. Mac Muncy, bases loaded, grand slam. The score is now 11-0. Will Smith up, called out on strikes. 11 runs, game over. Do you know who the most despondent people are when the score is 11-0 after one inning? Because it's not the Braves. It's the broadcasters. They are looking at three and a half hours, maybe four, when people are turning the game off, the game is over, trying to find something interesting to talk about. I felt for Joe Buck and John Smoltz. I really did. The sideline reporters were uh, Ken Rosenthal and... I want to say Tom Verducci, but I could be wrong. There was a point during the game where Joe Buck actually said, because of course I watched the entire game. Joe Buck actually said, hey, uh, Ken, Tom, we haven't heard from you guys. Are you guys there? Are you still in the ballpark? Are you working? Do you have anything that you can add to the broadcast? We have nothing more to talk about. I found that to be pretty funny. So the game ends 15 to three. Dodgers win a game. All of the pundits and social media, all of the MLB analysts and talking heads, the Dodgers are back. This is a major momentum swing. They've now scored 22 runs in the past 12 innings, which is nine innings of yesterday and three innings of the game before. The Braves are in trouble. And I started thinking immediately to the game I was a part of in 2003, specifically, shockingly, the year we won the World Series. 
where we went to Boston and lost like 25 to eight on a random June day and then came back the next day and won when Mike Lowell hit a go-ahead home run when we were down in that game too, as well, T-O-O. And I was thinking, what would I do if I were the Braves president? Because the game ends and you got to go to your clubhouse. I'm not the guy who only goes in the clubhouse when the team wins. You know I go in when the team loses because I want to be there for the good and the bad. And I would say to the team, not in a meeting, just very quickly to a bunch of players, the leaders of the team and likely the pitcher, right? And I would say, listen, see you tomorrow. That's literally what I used to say after losses like that. I was a part of a lot of blowout losses. You don't talk about the game. You don't have a sad look on your face. You don't look panicked. You don't look worried. You walk in, you say, see you tomorrow. You go to your manager, you look at the manager. He looks at you. See you tomorrow. You do not talk about it. When you lose a game four to three because your closer blew a save, when you lose a game seven to five because you had bases loaded and couldn't get the go-ahead runs in or even the time runs in, that's when you go to the clubhouse, you sit with the manager, you talk about every decision, you think about what we did wrong, what we can do better. Those losses gnaw at you. You worry about them. You think about them. You're, it ruins your day. Losing 15 to three, not a big deal. It's one loss. The Dodgers wake up today still down two to one in their series. Now, granted, they got Clayton Kershaw going in game four. What in the hell was Dave Roberts doing after the game last night announcing that Clayton Kershaw was pitching? If I'm Andrew Friedman, I am livid that Dave Roberts announced who was pitching today. Why give the Braves an opportunity to prepare for Kershaw? Why not make them prepare for a TBD? There's no reason for it. And how do you know that Clayton Kershaw is not going to wake up with back spasms? He woke up three days ago with back spasms. No reason for that. But for all the people who are saying that the Dodgers now are back, for all the people who are saying that the Braves have a problem, I only would say this. You're the only one who thinks that. Inside the Braves clubhouse, it's done. It's gone. The minute the 27th out happened. And the truth is there's a silver lining in there. And Brian Snitker, the manager for the Braves, was willing to articulate that silver lining of losing 15 to three. He got his bullpen arms a day of rest in a series where there are no off days. Did you take note that Kenley Jansen, the $23 million closer, it may not be 23 million. He signed that huge long-term deal. He pitched the sixth inning yesterday. In a blowout game, that's not really showing that you have a lot of faith in your closer. So a lot went on during that game, and the significance of it ended on the 27th out. The only thing that bothered me is that I had the pick wrong. Then we got to watch an American League, thank five years, 80. We did offer Jansen, by the way. We offered him that same five-year, $80 million deal. And he chose the Dodgers because he didn't want to move his family. And he had an issue with a child he wanted to be close to. We offered Chapman, whatever Chapman signed with the Yankees that same offseason, that exact deal. And he wanted to play for a winner. He thought he wanted to win World Series. So he stayed with the Yankees. You're welcome, Derek, that you don't have those albatross contracts in addition to the other ones we left you with. (laughs) What happened in the American League Championship Series? 
plenty. The Astros lost. The Rays were going for the sweep and the Astros beat him four to three. Our word of the day yesterday was yips. And I said, yips. I'm not so sure that Jose Altuve has the yips. He went out yesterday's game, hit another home run in the first inning. I think Coca. Has Jose Altuve hit a first inning home run in three of the first four games or three of the first four games of the American League Championship Series? Is that possible? I think it may be. That's got to be a record. You know how we always say that something, every time you think that something is new in baseball, it's not because it's happened before. I bet you that Jose Altuve, I'm going to say it right now. Jose Altuve is the first player to hit three first inning home runs in the first four games of a playoff series. There you go. I'm going with that stat. So the Astros were down to nothing. They tied the game on a Rosma home run, end up losing four, three. Can the Dodgers actually become the Boston Red Sox and make my pick come true? Is it possible that they can win this series in seven games exactly as I said they would in a wait to see before the LCS started? No, it's really not going to happen. I think the Astros are going to force a game. As a matter of fact, you know what? Screw it, Coca. We started picking two games recently and we keep losing two games, which is why I'm down to 26 and 22 in the nothing personal pick of the day. But I'm going to go with the Dodgers tying the series tonight, and I'm going to go with the Astros forcing the game six. I mean, if I'm hot, I might as well stay hot and keep going, right? Let's keep picking two games. We got Kershaw going for the Dodgers. My favorite Rays and Astros are pitching today, the TBD guys. Of course, by the time you may be listening to this, today is Thursday, October 15th, 2019. There is an absolute guarantee that there will be pitchers who pitch the first. It is 2020. Thank you. Sorry. It is October 15, 2020. Nothing personal pick of the day. We're going with the Astros, forcing a game six, because then we can dream about an Astros-Dodgers rematch. And we're going with the Dodgers tying the series. I was taken by the fact that if you are very focused on the yips and on worrying about your player, you are hoping that balls get hit to Jose Altuve immediately. There were balls hit to him. He didn't make any errors. Everyone take a breath. He's going to be fine. Two good games. No football tonight. You got two games coming, five o'clock and eight o'clock. Word of the day is annihilation. Okay. I want to talk about now a uh, question that was asked of me. And Coca, deliver me the beautiful music of being baked. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. You want to talk to Samson? You get on Twitter at David P. Samson. Get on Instagram at David P. Samson. Follow, please. For some reason, as Coke and I are going for a new contract, they care about followers. They care about listeners. They care about viewers. So please subscribe to the Nothing Person with YouTube channel because we don't want to stop. We don't want to stop. We've been doing this a year. We got to keep going. Plus, I have a wait to see that says we're going to get to 300 episodes and I'm on 237 today. I got to get that one right. Tell your friends about Nothing Personal. Spread the word. You guys have been doing a great job of that and I appreciate that. So and so you want to talk to Samson. It's a segment where you ask a question and I'm going to answer it. This was awesome. Someone sent me on 
I can't remember. I assume it was Twitter, DM, which are public. For immediate release from the office of the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I thought that I was being sent an actual press release because that's how press releases start. And here's what this press release states. We are excited to announce the immediate implementation of a mercy rule. Should one team lead by 15 or more runs after five innings of play, the game shall be commenced, which I think he meant the game shall be ended, with the win going to the team with the most runs scored. This is a tradition utilized in American Legion games for decades of baseball across this country. The mercy rule will be a point of pride and a tool to increase pace of play in Major League Baseball. I am humbled to grow this great game of baseball, even by shortening it. Signed, Robert Manford, Commissioner of Major League Baseball. And then he asked the question. I mean, it's not true, he said. But would you be shocked if Rob actually did this? I want to talk to Samson. So many of you were talking about the mercy rule last night during that game where the Dodgers annihilated the Atlanta Braves. And what comes up is, should the game just have ended? Why wouldn't the Braves forfeit the game? There was a legitimate baseball reporter who said, the Braves should forfeit, save their pitching, walk off the field. Let me explain to you why there's no mercy rule in Major League Baseball. Let's start at the most important. I'm not going to bury the lead, L-E-D-E. I'm going to talk about why there's no mercy rule. What happened after the 11-run first inning? Well, the final score was 15-3. to three, So there was a 4-3 to three game that took place, which the Dodgers beat the Braves 4-3. to three. In eight innings, there were players who had RBIs. There were pitchers who gave up runs or pitchers who had clean innings. There were statistics that were earned by players after the huge 11 run inning. And those statistics are used to build a case for a player, either in arbitration or in free agency. Now, the astute among you will say, David, postseason stats do not count as regular season stats. Therefore, in arbitration, regular season stats are used to formulate a salary and a decision by the arbitrators. Regular season stats are used when figuring out what to pay a free agent. And my answer is, you're right. Except so are postseason stats. When a player has made a postseason appearance and has had a successful postseason appearance, not just in terms of team performance, but individual performance, those numbers are used to get more money for the player. So the union would never allow a mercy rule. They had a hard enough time agreeing to the seven inning doubleheaders this year because four innings of play and production were lost. Obviously, two nine-inning games would be 18, two seven-inning games are 14. Four innings of production lost. It's why the players don't want to play fewer games in a regular season, because there would have to be a concomitant adjustment to the numbers that are used to decide what players get paid in arbitration, because players would have fewer games to get those numbers. 
And arbitration is all based on comparisons. You compare yourself to players who came before you. And if you compare yourself to players who played 162 games while you only play 154 games, by definition, you're going to have 5% fewer stats of production. In the postseason, you want to have as many home runs and RBIs as you can. Let me ask you this. Do you remember Giancarlo Stanton with the Yankees? Do you remember how many of his postseason home runs? Remember when he was really hot against the Rays and he was hitting a bunch of home runs and he had home runs against the Indians in their first series? How many of those home runs were go-ahead home runs or critical home runs versus how many home runs made the score 9 nothing when it was 8 nothing or 12 nothing when it was 8 nothing? When you're reviewing a player's postseason stats, there is no arbitration criteria. That means something that the arbitrators look at when deciding salary. There is no free agent criteria where a team says, hey, those were not important home runs. You look at the overall number. The smart owners and presidents and GMs have created something which we know in pitching is called high leverage. In offense, it's called close and late. What do players do in the clutch, shall we say? And we pretend we use those stats to inform us how much we're willing to pay a player. But we don't. The reality is that when a player has bulk, if it's a 40 home run guy, it doesn't matter if 15 home runs came when the game was out of reach one way or the other. When a pitcher has a stellar ERA, it doesn't matter that 40% of the innings came in mop-up situations. You look at the numbers and you use them that way. I, I guarantee you, as we sit here today, guarantee you, that a mercy rule and a shortened doubleheader rule will not exist going forward because there will be no agreement by the union and the owners. That's only part one. Why else can't you have a mercy rule? The answer is broadcast revenue. Can you imagine if Fox had a plan and an advertisers, because they sell advertising during these games, that they're showing a three-hour game with 17 in-between inning breaks. And all of a sudden, there's a blowout, and the game just ends. It's one thing to have nothing to talk about and have people turn off the game. But the reality is the advertisers who pay for the 30-second spots, they know that sometimes the viewership goes down, sometimes it goes up. Some people pay more because they want to be an advertiser in, in between the top and the bottom of the ninth because in theory, that's when you could get close games. Some people pay more, some companies pay more. They want to be in the first inning because the majority of people are going to watch the beginning of a game. The middle innings can be iffy, but you cannot end a game and all of a sudden have to pay your advertisers back money for ads that don't run. And the rate of advertising for a post-game show or a pre-game show is much smaller than the rate you pay during the game. So it's not as though a network can just say, okay, the game ended. We're going to do a prolonged post-game show. That will not make the advertisers whole. 
So while from a competitive standpoint and an injury standpoint and a savior pitching standpoint, it may make sense to have the mercy rule. There is no scenario where that's going to happen. I assure you that's the case, but I definitely appreciate the fact that you were willing to go into Twitter and ask that question. When we come back, I'm going to cry and I'm going to cry tears of longing for a time when I could watch a movie with Adam Sandler and I could be stimulated intellectually, my funny bone would be stimulated and I would feel as though that I could easily say that Adam Sandler is a multifaceted, phenomenal actor. When we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you why I can't do that anymore. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal here on October 15th, 2020. You know, I watch a movie, we review it, watch a TV show. I was pretty excited when Adam Sandler signed his deal with Netflix, with his production company, which is called Happy Madison, which is a combination of Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. Although I'm now questioning myself, is his production company Happy Madison? I think it is. Or is it Billy Gilmore? I'm almost positive. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Adam Sandler signed a deal with Netflix where he had the right to make a bunch of movies that his company was going to produce. He's put, he puts his friends in the movies and for the most part, they have been unwatchable, but I will give him every benefit of every doubt in the way that I'll give Will Ferrell every benefit of every doubt, because I love their talent. I love their ability to want to be Steve Martin, to be able to cross over 
Robin Williams to cross over from being a comedian, from doing nothing but funny, stupid movies, which I loved, to making adult, interesting movies. I've told you how much I love Click. I've told you how much I love funny people. I've told you that Adam Sandler is quality to me. While Coca during the pre-show said he'll never watch an Adam Sandler movie because and when he says never, he stands on principle. Even if we review it and say it's great, he's not going to watch it. Well, Adam Sandler has a timely movie because 16 days from today is Halloween. You know what else is on Halloween? It's Coca's birthday. So Adam Sandler released a movie called Hubie Halloween on Netflix. Hubie Halloween is about a guy named Hubie who feels as though he's the caretaker for a city called Salem, who has a lot of Halloween celebrations on the night of the 31st, Salem as in Salem witch trials, and that his job is to keep everyone safe. To me, he's like a 55-year-old. How old is Sandler? Let's say he's 55 or 54, 54, 55 is my guess. It's like he's playing his character from The Waterboy. He has a bizarre sort of accent. He sounds as though he has some sort of language problem. But the reality is that he plays this character called Hubie Dubois, who is, let me, let me say this nicely. He has not one redeeming quality. He can be nice, but he's not funny. He's not interesting. He's awkward. He's weird. And he goes on this one hour and a half search to make Salem safe. And there are guest stars galore. There's people dying to be in these Adam Sandler movies. Julie Bowen from Modern Family. Steve Buscemi. What a cast. Rob Schneider. Kevin James plays a cop with a bad beard. Ray Liotta plays a father with bad plastic surgery. Shaquille O'Neal is in the movie playing someone who has the single most awkward love scene I've ever seen. Shaquille O'Neal has a love scene, except it's a love scene with food. Ben Stiller shows up. Adam Sandler's daughter shows up. What in the name of holy hell were they doing in this movie? It's called a PPC. You know how businesses applied for loans during the pandemic? You know how the equipment that we all had a shortage of, but now we've got plenty of personal protection equipment, PPE. Well, a PPC is something in Hollywood called a pandemic paycheck. Every single actor who appeared in this movie while making this movie realized this movie was absolutely horrid. No matter that there were bloopers where there were some laughing and some mistakes. If any of those people watch this movie in full, the only one laughing will be Adam Sandler because he's laughing all the way to the bank. Who's not laughing this morning? Raise your hand if you live in Alabama and your initials are NS and you've got C19. I think it's the biggest story of the sports day, Coca. I think it was bigger than the LCS. I really do. It was everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. 
Nick Saban, the coaching devil, if you're not an Alabama fan. Maybe the greatest coach in college football history. Whatever you think about him, doesn't matter. He's a person. He is about to be a septuagenarian. And he has COVID. So they had to do a major announcement at Alabama. Nick Saban had to do a statement. I found out earlier this afternoon that I tested positive for COVID-19. He said, I immediately left work and isolated at home. At this time, I do not have any symptoms relative to COVID. That's funny. Um, You have to say that when you have symptoms of other stuff, right? If you have like anxiety or many of the things that I have or sleep disorder or a, a, I was going to say ACD, and that's adjournment and contemplation of dismissal in the legal world. I don't know why I was saying I meant ODD or ADD or OCD. He said in his statement, I do not have any symptoms related to COVID. And I've taken another PCR test to confirm my diagnosis. Well, he may be isolated, but he's still working. The Alabama football team continues to practice. There was this vision I had of him on a Zoom call. Him on the big screen in their stadium. Looking over like God, like Morgan Freeman in Bruce Almighty. Looking over the world of Alabama. Hey, hustle. Hey, that's the wrong play. Hey, run that again. And the assistant coaches running around, his merry band of assistant coaches running around, all of his reclamation project assistant coaches running around holding iPhones, keeping the camera with the Zoom, showing him everything that's going on during the practice. There's no interim head coach. There's no one in charge other than Nick Saban. He took another PCR test because he's hoping it's a false positive. Because if it is, he'll be on the sideline this weekend. Sideline this weekend. Is Alabama going to play its game? Is it possible that it's not a head coach only with it? Is it possible that there's going to be an outbreak like there is with the Gators where they had to postpone their weekend game? Well, this weekend, Alabama has a huge game. They are playing who, Coca? I want to say Georgia. Is it Georgia? Thank you. Is Georgia a top five team? So this is a top five matchup. They are number three. So this is in Alabama, I assume, is number one because they're always number one. No, they're two. Oh, Trevor Lawrence, that guy is number one, right, with Clemson? Okay. So this is two versus three. This is a major game. If you want to win the national championship, the odds are you're going to have to win this game. And believe me, Nick Saban is in it to win national championships. That's all he cares about. That's all he wants. So as of now, Alabama and Georgia, the game will go on. And that's all people were talking about. I really find it funny. There were people on various networks saying, big deal, Nick Saban has COVID-19. But the real question is, what's going to happen to the Alabama-Georgia game? Is that game going to be postponed? Will Nick Saban be on the sidelines? Who's going to be the interim head coach? And by the way, on a triple side note, we pray for a full and speedy recovery for Nick Saban. These networks don't really care. They need the games to go on. It's critical. 
especially those SEC games. Ivy Leagues, eh, doesn't matter. Some of the lower conferences, yeah, whatever. All I know is that Nick Saban getting COVID-19 is the least surprising thing. By the way, Coca just whispered that he shares a birthday with Nick Saban. That's pretty cool. Nick Saban turned 69 this Halloween. That means he's close to us. Except octogenarian is when someone's 80, by the way. So I assumed, I've never heard the word septogenarian, but I know SEPT is a, a means seven. So I assume septogenarian is a word, Coca. We, we could have made that our word of the day, unless it's not a word, in which case it would be a made up letters of the day. Is it? He's telling me right now. Sept. Uh, this is how he's writing to me on the document right now. He's doing like one letter at a time. S-E-P-T-U. Is there anything after that word? A-G-E-N-E-R-I-A-N. A septuagenarian. That's someone who's 70 or in his 70s. Alabama has been an absolute cluster for COVID. We know this. We've talked about nothing personal. They had parties. They had players going to parties. They had students partying. They had Nick Saban standing up and telling the students to behave if they want to see their precious SEC team play play football. Same thing that was going on in Florida. For whatever reason, it just hasn't worked right. And if Nick Saban, and I do hope, this is not a side note, I hope it's a false positive, you don't want someone to get COVID. You know, since the president got COVID and recovered, there's been some misunderstanding that it's not a big deal. You get it and then you're fine. You can dance, you can play football, you can do everything back to normal. We don't know the impact that COVID has on athletes. We're not sure if myocarditis is a real thing. We're not sure what the impact is. You know, Ronaldo just tested positive. Do we know for sure that he can come back and be Ronaldo? What impact does it have on your VO2 max, on your lung capacity? We just don't know. You don't want your players getting COVID. You don't want your parents or grandparents getting COVID. And the narrative, hey, I got it, but now I'm great. I'm better than ever. It is a bad look for this country, for college students, for college athletes, for general members of the population to believe that there is everything they need to know about COVID. There isn't. The impact for college football is far more significant, in my opinion, if their athletes get COVID. To them, though, the biggest impact is will the game go on between Alabama and Georgia? Does that make sense? Not to me, it doesn't. The NFL is really no better. They're doing their best, though. They're trying. The Atlanta Falcons announced today rumors, multiple positive tests after one yesterday. We've got ourselves an outbreak. Oh, that's what we, we need a new sound, Coca, from your soundboard. Here, here's what it should be. Outbreak alert. Outbreak alert. Outbreak alert. OA. We have a new OA. And then we go into like a, a, a segue into which team it is. Well, now it's the dolphin, it's Dolphins. Why is that in my head? Now it is the Falcons. Except then word came out, no, no, don't worry. The Falcons released a statement. It's just one person. 
Okay. Not a player. Oh, even better. That means it's an older coach or a support personnel. The game goes on. Of course the game goes on. The game always goes on. We're, we could postpone to Monday, Tuesday. We don't want to lose the week 18 at a week 18. We don't want to lose the week off between the championships and the Super Bowl. Roger Goodell said, oh, but we're going to be very flexible. How come the NFL released a statement or an interview where both the NFL and the NFL PA both decided that while the NBA and NHL succeeded playing in a bubble, while MLB is in a postseason bubble, the NFL has no interest in a postseason bubble. I want to know why. I want to know why you think what the other sports did that has proven to work physically, you're not willing to do. Well, there's a chief medical officer for the NFL, and his name is Alan Sills. I'm not going to impugn Alan Sills' judgment or his qualifications to be a chief medical officer. What I am going to say is that he is resting on one fact and one fact only. And that is the mental toll that the bubble has on players. He said specifically that the emotional toll of isolating players during the playoffs and around the holidays is a greater health threat than that presented by coronavirus. And that the mental health of the players is just as much of a health and safety concern as a COVID-19 infection. You know how open and transparent I have been on this show about mental health. You know how important it is to me. You know how I feel when a player like a Paul George or a player like a Dak Prescott or any player like a, uh, uh, the baseball player who came out to talk about mental health. I'm having a moment, Coca. I'm having a, an unbelievable moment right here. He wrote an entire article, and he's a really good baseball player. I can't believe this, Coke. I'm so annoyed at myself right now. Talking about his, his struggles with mental health, and it's not Zach Ranke who has social anxiety disorder. It's somebody else, Coca. We'll cover it on tomorrow's show if, we don't, if, you, if you don't find it right now. If you could find it, that'd be great. So I am all in favor of taking care of people's mental health. You know that. How come NBA players were willing and NHL players and MLB players? They were willing because they realized that the best way to get to the end of a season and the best way to crown a champion was to make a personal sacrifice and that it is incumbent upon the league and the member teams to provide as much mental health counseling, to provide as much support as possible in order to make it livable. I'm not saying it's ideal. There's no doubt about that. I'm not saying it's not difficult. Excuse me. What I am saying is that when you have an unknown like COVID and you've got hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. Your job 
is to get the games in in as safe a way as possible from a physical standpoint, from a virus standpoint, and you make whatever adjustments you have to make to take care of any mental issues that could come up. You're telling me that people get depressed if they're going to be in a bubble on Christmas or for the new year? Are there players who want their families there? Are there players who don't want their families there? Are there players who want the ability to stay in a suite? Are there players who want the ability to have the comforts of home in their room? Are there ways that the NBA tried to make the bubble in Orlando feel like home by bringing in chefs and barbers and games and all sorts of things that players definitely got sick of as time passed? Danny Green said today that one of his first thoughts after winning the NBA championship was not that he was a champion again. It's that he got to leave the bubble. I get that. But they were there for three months. How long would NFL players be in a bubble in the postseason, Coca? For the Super Bowl champion, game one of the playoffs, let's just pretend it's January 5th. And let's pretend the Super Bowl is February 5th. Those are round numbers. It's about right. The two teams who make it all the way will be in there for a total of a month. In the NBA, the two teams who made it to the end, the Lakers and the Heat, were there for 96 days. It's not even close. What about MLB? Coca's telling me it's January 9th to February 7th. That's not even a month. MLB is bubbling right now in Texas and in California. The total playoffs last from September 29th, where you weren't bubbled in the first wildcard series, and the World Series will end at the latest October 28th. That's exactly what the NFL postseason bubble would be. Yet the NFL Players Association executive and the NFL executive, Troy Vincent, said when asked about a playoff bubble, we're proceeding as is. It's not going to happen. So I'm upset about all this happening. But then came the quote that made me the craziest. We don't feel that is the safest course of action for us. Talking about a bubble. I don't know how you say it. I don't know how you say that with a straight face. I'm not going to make it a wait to see, but I'll tell you right now, the NFL playing in a bubble is not a out of the question scenario. If they continue to have outbreaks and it's not just a one-off test by the Falcons, or if they've got any sort of situation where they're postponing more games or more and more teams are having multiple positive tests, they will have no choice but to figure out how to do an MLB-style bubble. They're not going to create a campus. It will be an MLB-style bubble. And they're going to have to really plan that. And if the NFL is so full of hubris that they're not, they're making a huge mistake. And what's ironic about a mistake like that is that the NFL is so uber-focused on business. The NFL is so interested. You saw this throughout the pandemic that they were focused on changing nothing, putting their head in the sand, putting their thumbs in their mouth and saying, we're we're the NFL. We're untouchable. It's not going to happen to us. And we spend time on nothing personal saying the opposite. It's impossible that it won't happen to you. Now the season has started and it is clear as the sun set following a sunrise 
that positive tests within the NFL ecosystem are a guarantee and they're not stopping anytime soon. And for the NFL not to realize that they have to protect their postseason, it's impossible. They are the king of what we know to be true here on Nothing Personal. They are going to have to speak to their union and their chief medical officer, and they're going to have to start making plans because out of every league, they know when it comes to the NFL playoffs, you're damn right. It's just business. It's nothing personal.